Welcome one and all to Vision on Sound here on Fab Radio International with me, Martin Holmes. Vision on Sound's old friend Sandy McGregor is back again this week to take a look at another of the serious television dramas that he enjoys so much and likes to talk to me about. This time it's Peter Flannery's epic nine-part drama, Our Friends in the North, that he's been watching. It's a story based upon the original script created for a stage show version written whilst Flannery was writer-in-residence at the Royal Shakespeare Company and which, when it came to be produced, was such a huge production that it was allocated half of the BBC's drama budget for the entire year it was made in. The story unfolds across a quarter of a century. The story starts in 1964 and the TV version, unlike the stage play, which ends in 1979, takes the story on to the year 1995. The series follows the lives of four friends who grew up in Newcastle, Geordie Peacock, Nicky Hutchison, Mary Soulsby and Tosca Cox, as played in career-making roles by Daniel Craig, Christopher Eccleston, Gina McKee and Mark Strong, in a variety of hair pieces and makeup. The series is set around the backdrop of seismic and significant political and social upheavals, and we meet these characters in several historically significant years as they grow up and grow apart, and as their lives continue to cross and diverge over the decades, and we witness the various triumphs and disappointments that they meet along the way much like in real life, really. With a supporting cast of acting greats like Peter Vaughan, Malcolm McDowell, Alan Armstrong, David Bradley, Tony Haygarth, Peter Jeffrey, and Donald Sumter on the roster, this was the definite must-see event drama of the year 1996 and won the Best Drama Serial BAFTA Award in 1997, with several of the actors also being nominated, alongside nominations in several technical categories. In 2022, the story was rewritten and updated as a radio series for Radio 4, featuring different actors. Luke McGregor, James Baxter, Nora Lopez-Holden and Philip Coria, featuring a tenth chapter written by Adam Hudson, which was set in 2020. So I think, like a lot of the best sagas, this is a story that keeps on getting more fascinating as the years pass. Anyway, once again, let's kick up the Fab Radio International time engines and head back to 1964, or at least a 1996 idea of it, and see just what life has in store for those four young leads. Hello, Sandy. How the heck are you? I'm very well, Martin. How are you? Oh, yeah, no, ticking along. Now, you are rapidly becoming our correspondent for grown-up, <laughs> proper, important, dramatic telly. Yes. Significant telly. And uh, and once again, I mean, last time we talked about Jewel in the Crown, this time you wanted to talk about another a late 90s series done by the BBC, yeah. a nine-part series called Our Friends in the North. Yes, indeed, indeed. Yeah, this, this is a bit different from... Uh, Jewel in the Crown, Jewel in the Crown, or something. <laughs> yeah. In terms, of, in terms of how I came to it, because mm. I didn't watch it at the time. Right. Probably know what I was doing in uh, early '96 when mm. it was on. I was probably doing gigs, going mm. to the theatre a lot, doing a lot of work in the theatre, watching football stuff like that. And it kind of, yeah. it passed me by at the time. So I was kind of, I was aware of it, mm. but never got round to watching it. Mm. And uh, 
I know my my other half watched it on on those them uh, in the days of love films, sending you discs through the post. Right. She did watch it, you know, mm-hmm. probably kind of 10, 15 years ago. Mm. But oh, I don't know, it's, it's just something again that I kind of skipped me by. But mm. it, it's a series that kept on getting referenced. Mm. Obviously, you know, as we'll come on to, it was the the making of a lot of actors who went from True. Yeah. Uh, kind of launched into pretty uh, stellar careers since then. Mm. And so, you know, I was kind of aware of it and I thought, well, when it popped up on the uh, the hundred great years of the BBC, that kind of the, mm. the stuff they've been showing on a, a Wednesday night, yeah, raiding their, their archives for top notch drama. I thought, well, it's, <laughs> ah, yes, let's, let's <laughs> the good the good stuff. It's all the old the, stuff, you know. I mean, this is what we keep yeah. trying to tell people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a great phrase in the play Zigga Zagger by uh, Peter Terson, mm-hmm. where his his dad, the lead character, his dad buys Reader's Digest. Right. The French novels. And he said, it's all the rubbish taken out and it's just the classic left in the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, to be fair, in 1996, when uh, Our Friends in the North was broadcast, or well, made presumably as well, mm. there wasn't a lot of other drama about that year. So there wasn't a lot of chaff to cut away because actually I think they yeah. threw most of their drama budget at <laughs> making this intended epic and it's, yes. it's an intended epic that that runs over the unusual number of nine episodes, which is always a bit weird, that are yeah. of differing lengths, which I know we talked about when we talked about The Singing Detective. This yeah. strange thing of having slots for episodes of a series that aren't quite the same length every week. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they threw a lot of money at this, and it was their big, big drama of 1996, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yeah, so having sat there and, and watched that armor mm. sale was pretty... I was pretty blown away by it. Mm. Just the uh, the scope of it. Well, uh, it tells. I mean, it tells a story over about twenty five years, and it's a political, a very political story. Yes. So you're telling the story from the early sixties to the nineties, the early sixties yes. to the nineties, and uh, and so it's not quite contemporary at the end, is it? But it's it's the recent past at the end. Yes. And yeah. then, I mean, that's now twenty five years ago, yes. and part of you. I always think with watching it is it'd be quite nice in some ways to, you know, do another couple, <laughs> yeah. Re- revisit them uh, two decades on and see what became mm-hmm. of them really. But then I always think that with a lot of shows, I think that I still think that with the Likely Lads, it would have been nice to go back ten years later. But yes. that was never going to happen. But no. there are some shows where they stick with you, the characters stick with you, and the concepts stick with you, and you just sort of wonder how it worked out for those characters. And that's an interesting thing, that the, the characters themselves get into your head like that. Yes. Yeah, and I mean, they are four such strong... Well, characters. should we talk about the four central characters yes. of, of this of this show? Yeah, so the four... In no particular order. <laughs> <laughs> so, the, the, yeah, the, the four main characters are Christopher Eccleston mm-hmm. as uh, Nicky Hutchison. Right. Mark Strong as Terry Tosker. Cox. Right. I, I realise with my uh, my sixty year old hearing, I've, I've been hearing that as Tosca, right. as in the uh, as in the opera. Oh right, Tosca, Tosca with an ER. Ah, did you know that? 
Well, I did, but yeah. All <laughs> ah, right, yeah, you've you've done a lot more analysis on this, but you know, well, not it was a while ago. I, I'm trying very hard to remember what we talked about <laughs> uh, two years ago when we, we covered it on another right. show. Yep. But yes, it's a big epic piece. Yep, we've got yeah, we've got Gina McKee, Gina as, McKee. as Mira Mary Cox mm. and Daniel Craig. Aye. Who, whatever yeah. happened to him? Whatever happened to him, <laughs> indeed, as uh, Jordy Peacock. So those are the, the more the four mm. uh, main characters, and there are a lot of other recurring characters who come through it. But those are the the four main ones. And when you look at the the title sequence and the way it was kind of portrayed and marketed, mm. these are the the four friends, mm. and it follows their uh, varying kind of, fortunes. Uh, I think would be the what fascinates me is the way it was promoted. I, I do remember, because I don't think I watched it on first transmission either. I think, again, it was that, the, I don't know, the mid-90s, but obviously a very busy time for the likes of us at that sort of age. Yes. You know, it's, <laughs> it's the sort of late 20s, early 30s sort of era of our yeah. lives, and maybe mm-hmm. we were just busy doing other things. But the thing I remember most about the series from then is it seemed to be about incredible hairpieces. There seem yes. to be some brilliant wigs going on. There's some wiggage. And the promotional material starts, you get the very thin-tied, sensible 60s haircuts. Then you get the yeah. long haired, And then you get the, <laughs> the oh, we've all aged a bit, ageing makeup. And yeah. there seem to be these three eras that they cover, which, of course, is, is very dismissive of, of the way the show is. But if you're going to show yeah. characters ageing over a quarter of a century or, or more, you have to... Yeah. You do have to age them up, and, and styles do change. But yeah. I think that one of the things that stuck with it is when, when, particularly when Daniel Craig went off to do James Bond, there were all these photographs of him with this because he, his character, in many ways suffers the most. Yes. Not in all mm-hmm. cases, but in many ways suffers the most, and also goes through the most transformations. But yeah. his seventies look particularly is <laughs> <laughs> not the most flattering. Shall we put it that way? No, no. Followed by his kind of uh, his spells in prison and mm. kind of various hospitals and mm. other down and out, mm. and you know you think there he was looking very very rough and very unattractive, mm. and yet you know decades later he's uh, mm. he's bounding across buildings as uh, as James Bond, mm. looking very dapper and mm. very suave and, and doing all that damn acting that you really don't yes. need in action films, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know you like your actors, so that you yeah, know, that's, that's fair. Uh, right. And yeah, I, I'm talking to the hairpieces of the uh, the Mark Strong as Tosker. Ah, <laughs> yes, he does losing does. losing his hair. <laughs> right from the start, you know. Well, at kid. least, at least he acknowledges it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bless him. It's not a comb over for a very long time, is it? But <laughs> uh, no, that's it. I mean, at that time, you know, I've seen other things that Mark Strong was doing. He obviously was uh, follically challenged, I believe the, uh, the the phrase is. But let's be honest, Our Friends of the North is not all about hair. <laughs> it's not. It's not, about... a, it's not a nine-part serial about hairdressing. However. It does feature some of the, the great character actors of the era. You've got Peter Vaughan, David Bradley, uh, Alan Armstrong, Malcolm McDowell, Donald Sumter, David Schofield, yep. Peter Jeffrey, Tony Haygarth. So these yes. are these are the names that pop up in a lot yeah. of these kinds mm-hmm. of shows. Yeah, it, it took me a while to recognise David Bradley because, you know, he's mm. done a lot since then. Mm. And obviously in the early episodes, he is made to look younger than mm. he actually was. Yes. And it's yeah, it's there's any number of 
fantastic performances in this, I think, you know, mm-hmm. not just the four leads. Um, I would sing about Peter Vaughan mm. as being just stunning as, as, you know, as he descends into kind of Alzheimer's mm. dementia towards the end. It's just uh, Peter Vaughan is one of those incredible actors of that era. I mean, I, I, funnily enough, I recently watched Fox, which he was in, uh, yeah. which was uh, centred certainly in the first part of its run uh, around his character. But what gets me specifically about Our Friends in the North is it's such a brave performance. I mean, there are, there are moments towards the end of his story where, where dignity is it has to be sort of left at the door. And he's very. It's a very brave performance to yeah. do all that stuff, and I, I think it's a phenomenal portrayal of that descent into the Alzheimer's. And yeah. yet, back in the in the early part of the story, when he is being the tyrannical father figure, yeah. he is he is still incredibly powerful and incredibly terrifying. Yeah, that's it. And the kind of yeah the the relationship between uh, him and Nicky mm. is just fantastic. It really, mm. you know, the, the rubbing between mm. the generations and what you've done and what the next mm. generation does compared to what you do and how you regard, you know, the, the way it's looked at from both perspectives, mm. you know, from the, the older generation to the younger and the mm. younger to the older, how, you know, you see all the faults mm. in, uh, in the other generations. Uh, when you um, when you think of our friends, I mean, you've you've now seen all of it. Yes. When mm-hmm. you think of our friends in the north, do you think it's the story of Christopher Eccleston's Nikki Nikki Hutchison character? Do you think it's the story of Mark's? Yeah. Does it feel like it's actually a Christopher Eccleston series or a Daniel Craig series, or does it sort of change in your head? Because that's what I find. I I find oh, that's that show that. And I forget about the other four, and then, but then I think, yeah. oh no, but it's a Mark Strong series, and and if you actually follow each individual character through the series and just think about it as their show, do you feel that it's a very balance between the four of them? Yeah, I, I, I think Nicky gets the big is somehow the lead. Mm. I don't know if it's just the kind of. Does he go through more changes than anyone else? Well, I would Possibly. argue that Daniel Craig's character goes through the yes. most changes, and yeah. probably, mm-hmm. I mean, he he has a sort of descent, doesn't he? He has an absolute yes. descent mm-hmm. from being the Jack the Lad in the sixties with Malcolm McDowell, with sorry yeah. Benny Benny Barrett in it. That's right, Benny Barrett, yeah. <laughs> and he has the furthest to fall and falls all the way. Yes, mm-hmm. but I mean, he actually isn't even in one of the episodes at no. all. Yeah, so. You could argue, I mean, basically, there's a period in the mid '80s sequences where he just he's in prison, yeah. And mm-hmm. okay, there's not really much story to tell about yeah. how that affects the other three or how they meet up together. So, because they probably didn't even know at that stage. I mean, it is a series about friendship on some level, although it's not yeah. necessarily. They don't seem like friends a lot of the time. No, yeah, they're quite kind of antagonistic. Towards antagonistic, each other. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't. Yeah, they don't necessarily treat each other well mm. over the course of it. So it's mm. not going to, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're lifelong buddies. We're all mm. going to hang together and hug mm. and stuff like that. Mm. It's going to, yeah, they do some quite nasty things mm. to each other. Well, fate throws them together at various points in their lives. And that's really yeah. what the nine episodes are. I mean, each episode is set in a different year, isn't it? So yeah. you get... Mm-hmm as life sometimes does, you end up in a room with people you don't particularly want to be with. Mm-hmm. Uh, two of the characters, Mark Strong and Gina McKee's characters, do end up together, don't they? They, are, they end up in a relationship. 
yeah. and and have children and all this kind of. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is sixty, so they got married. Let's not yes. let's not pull yes. any punches on this. But it wasn't necessarily the happiest setup. And Christopher Eccleston had history with Mary. Yes. Before mm-hmm. that, and Daniel Craig was sort of their mate, who their paths just kept on crossing. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because I think it is a very highly political piece. But again, yeah. it's not only that, is it? Although no. both Christopher Eccleston's character and later Gina McKee's characters both move into politics. Yes. But it's also telling the story of them against the backdrop of the real politics of the time. I mean, against yeah. Thatcherism, against well, the 70s as well, but the, the oh, miners' yeah. strike and all that oh, stuff is playing mm-hmm. out. But it's a fictionalised view of that, but it's, yes. it's sort of the background of which they are playing. I mean, all sorts of scandals that resurface. What gets me about particularly about the early part of this is those sorts of scandals in politics they sound incredibly familiar from recent times don't they <laughs> <laughs> certain things crop up and you think oh that, they were talking about that 40 years ago and and that was in yeah. our friends in the north and you know it's still the same kinds of bungs and corruption yes because a lot of the early part of the story is about bungs and corruption and people using their position in councils or whatever to to yes. make themselves a few quid. Those same kind of things that were troubling people about politics back in the 60s are still there today. Yes. Mm-hmm. And also, Nicky Hutchinson's character is trying very hard not to get tarred by that, but still, in many ways, does, and then tries to find a new career afterwards, and, and so on and so on. So yep. the politics thing, certainly in the early, the 60s part, I mean, this is how their characters sort of rise, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I mean, the, uh, the the early bit with all the uh, the housing mm. uh, things going on in the North East, that was around a guy, I remember the name, T. Dan Smith, mm. who was a kind of mover and shaker mm. in the Labour Party in the, mm. in the kind of uh, the North East. Mm. And... I think that was the original germ for the the play, mm. or the, the TV. But it was a play originally, wasn't it? Mm. That was in the show. Would you like to talk about the play version, the stage play version, or at least, or at least about Peter Flannery? Yeah, I, I don't. That's kind of. Uh, I will say I don't know a lot of the uh, the history of the play mm. uh, and how that one came around. Mm. I mean, you've were aware of the uh, the radio. Yes, it's it's been remade for radio, but they added a few updates for the new radio version last last year or the year before now. It's, it's, so, uh, although I didn't actually get around to listening, it, so they did recast. It wasn't the same cast as the yeah. television version, but some new additions were made to update it slightly. So it, it's still an ongoing work with... Is Peter Flannery still around? I think Peter, he is. Peter Flannery, yep. Uh, in in the same way, it's funny. I was watching a completely aside. I was watching a, a preview for the new Martin McDonough film. So, uh, oh, the, yes. there's there's this generation of playwrights who are are still working, but also still working on the same kinds of stories that they've been telling and, and updating yes. them and, and mm-hmm. rethinking them and, and reworking them again. So uh, yes, Peter Flannery was he was working for the RSC, wasn't he at the time? Yes, and and, <laughs> and decided oh he was going to make this three hour theatre experience. I yes. know you're a fan of the three hour theatre experience. <laughs> Not as much of as a fan of the ninety minute theatre, but I do like the three hour. As long as you're in the bar by nine o'clock. Yeah. yeah if, 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 if something's good, then mm. I can last three hours. Right. Uh, unfortunately, the number of plays that are that good that they can sustain three hours are, <laughs> are somewhat few. 
But anyway, this uh, this award-winning production and everything like that went on and, and got adapted. I mean, that stopped at 1979, didn't it? Yes, it did. Whereas yeah. the TV series moves on into the 80s. I don't know about how you feel about it, but the one that most vividly sticks with me is the Minor Strike episode because it is yes. it is brutal and obviously shows... It's all really reduced to a small war between the police and the miners in a in a very small mining village in the north, yes. isn't it? Mm-hmm. And somehow I found that one of the most disturbing things about it. Yes. It's just mm-hmm. that hour of television. And of course, you know, we've got characters who've got sons who are in the police force. We've got people are pitted against each other in a way that they were, and some cases still are, in a period of yeah. great turmoil yeah. mm-hmm. and it's incredible for drama and when you consider that wasn't even in the original stage show you know it's no. kind of like a mm-hmm. centerpiece of the second half of the story yeah and what's what what's interesting you know an interesting thing about the the tv program is mm. it does focus on specific years mm. it's not a continuous story no. it's a kind of the character's almost like kind of Everyone wanders off stage and all things happen. Mm. And then you come back and it's a new year and there's new things happening. Mm. Some old things are still going on and mm. can be recurring. Mm. But, you know, other things just get left mm. for you to, to figure out and you take your own, uh, you know. It, it's not complete. It's not a kind of documentary that gives you everything. There are things that you do no. need to, uh, to fill out. So, yeah, the two names I was looking for were uh, T. Dan Smith. Who was, right, uh, Mr. Newcastle, ah. and John Paulson. Right. So there are characters that are in the series which mm. refer to well-known political things. Now I mm. can vaguely remember in the uh, you know growing up in the early seventies there were references to these guys and mm. they got, uh, when they get into trouble and corruption mm. that those kind of stuff. They were kind of names I knew from the mm. my kind of my, my childhood. Mm. So But this is a fictionalized account of a similar yes. situation. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting because you have got real politics and you've got the fictionalized politics as well yes. sort yes. of pulling against each other. Yeah, because you, you, yeah you have you have Well the, for uh, legal reasons as much as anything I would imagine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's kind of the people are elected to parliament who mm. obviously didn't exist and you know there was this corruption going mm. on with various politicians being bought and the, the, I mean the police corruption I'm not even kind of mm. touched on the police corruption in yeah. uh, in London which is the kind of is pulled in by Geordie mm. going down and living with a a guy who runs porn shops and mm. uh, various dodgy clubs it was also mm. based on another uh, real life character mm-hmm but I, I wasn't that aware of uh, pornographers in the uh, the 1970s. I, I hasten to say it, so... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting, I think, how in some ways we talk about now how the press can be kind of a bit kid gloves about certain people. Yeah. But equally, when you remember the press of the 60s and 70s, the newspapers of the 60s and 70s, yeah. I mean, we had the Profumo scandal, you know, and that kind of made headlines. And yeah. there were figures who were sort of pulled out or drawn out by various press mm-hmm. uh, stories, uh, you know, investigative journalism and what have you. But actually, it still feels 
the 70s newspapers feel terribly prudish, really, when you f- imagine all this stuff was going on. Mm-hmm. Apart from, I mean, there used to be the News of the World and it's, I made my excuses and left kind yeah. of reportage. Mm-hmm. And people would sort of, you know, there would be like the black line over the eyes to not identify people and they would go into some sleazy place and discover something <laughs> and somebody's career would be over. But it was all sort of behind the scenes, whereas now... Let's face it, not to put too fine a point on it, it's all a bit in your face when things yes, when things are, um, mm-hmm. which are and whether that's beneficial or not, I suppose depends on how you feel about the modern press era. Really, I mean, on some levels, it's quite good that people are being given truth to power, but equally, in many ways, they're not being given truth to power because yeah. cover-ups are still able to happen. Yeah. I mean, this is again when you think about it, this is twenty five, twenty six years ago. And it's already trying to peel between the the reality of sixties Britain, mm-hmm. as opposed to the what was it called? The not not the well we were in the era weren't we of Britpop and all that kind of thing, Cool Britannia. Yeah, and it was kind of like that was an era that was trying to revisit sixties Britain and the Carnaby yeah. Street mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Yeah. but actually behind the Carnaby Street veneer, if you like, of the sixties was this dark underbelly. Yes, and I think. And mm-hmm. I think that the series throughout really manages to pick at that dark underbelly and yeah. sort of, mm-hmm. you know, and you actually come away from it feeling quite, I say feeling quite filthy, but you, know, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. do sort of, it, it doesn't encourage you to feel great. It's taking the, what, what people, you know, the, what's great about this country stuff. It's taking mm-hmm. that and saying, eh, but, you know, there's a lot of, you know the prostitution, the um, the drugs, and all that stuff that was going yeah. on. It was going on, and there was a a cost, there was a price to pay. And yeah. I think that's the interesting thing that we're dealing with here is we are seeing the price that is paying. Yeah. and we are seeing that mm. when, for example, you get this um, the housing scandal, how that affected real people, well, real fictional people, but yeah, know, the, mm-hmm. the the damp houses, the collapsing yeah. houses, mm-hmm. all those things. You know, the consequences of these actions. I was going to ask you, are you a fan of Get Carter at all? Yes, I've I've seen it a couple of times, so it's 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 going to be a known film to me. Yeah, not, but that, it's not not one of my my go to films. No, but it it, it yeah. has that kind of gritty feel yes. about mm-hmm. Northern life, and I feel that I feel that Get Carter is a touchstone for the style of yes of the way it's shot. It feels very bleak. It's like very cold filters. It's, it feels like the the eye. Is on the viewer. Do you know mm. what I'm saying? It just, yeah. yeah, you're very much. Sorry, not on the viewer. The, the viewer's eye is very much. It's not war. It's not a warm and cozy piece, no. is it? Let's put it that. Way. Absolutely not. No. I'm sorry, I've drivelled on a bit there. But, uh, <laughs> do carry on. No, no, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. It's not a kind of sit back and very comfortable viewing with nicely, nicely mm. framed and nicely shot, rose tinted and all ro- that. Yeah, stuff. rose tinted is yeah. probably the thing. Mm. But yeah, it all feels very real, mm. very kind of uh, document, yeah, almost like documentary mm. style mm. in the way it's done. So, and and yeah, I mean, I, I take your point. Like you know, we are very good at nostalgia in mm. this country. About oh, how, god, yes, yeah, yeah. Well, wasn't it? Wasn't it great? You know, mm. in those days, you know, you could mm. leave your back door open, mm. and uh, you know, safe to walk the streets and. Mm. Well, yeah, wasn't Britain great in those days? Mm. And it's a lot of the problems we have now are are similar to to what we had in mm. in those days. Well, it never uh, changes, does it? I mean, I think in some ways, watching 
our friends in the north basically tells you that it is the same old same old yeah you know mm-hmm. the people in in the should we say positions of power will on whatever level exploit the people who yeah. have no, nothing mm-hmm. and to a certain extent that's that's peter vaughn's part mm. as well isn't it mm. you know that he knows you're going to get sold out mm. because he gets sold out after the Jarrow march mm. and you know in generations to come mm. you're going to get sold out by mm. somebody else you know how well the, do you think the, it the, serves left-wing or right-wing politics do you feel it i mean do you feel, obviously it feels a very left Wing yeah, it, it feels left wing, but it's you know it's, it's not it's, uncritical. Yeah. yeah, it's not uncritical because when you look at the uh, the Alan Armstrong as Austin mm. Donoghue and I forget the name of the uh, the MP who he works with, who who just stand there and say mouth off platitudes. Mm. About, you know, we need housing, mm. and regardless of what kind of crap they're going to build, that you expect mm. people to to live in, you know. I mean, you you know, I've been living as we do in the northwest of England. You remember, mm. uh, you remember Hume, mm. which was uh, set up as like, you know, this is going to be the ideal way to for people to live mm. going into the, uh, the second half of the, or the final quarter of the mm. uh, the 20th century. In fact, it turned out to be a proper disaster. And that's the kind of... Well, it's 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 again. I, I suppose you know, not not wanting to be too absolute about this, but there is this sense that uh, that's good enough for those kind of people, and these decisions yeah. are made that says, oh, well, that'll do, yeah. you know, and and as long as I make I get my bung out of it, you know, I don't really care what happens next. I think. It does fascinate me that you get again this, the story arc that you get for Mary's character because she ends up living in one of these wretched. Housing yes. Association, mm-hmm. when it collapses, you know, or when it... Yeah. Does it actually collapse in this? I think it does, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, I think they have to move everyone out while, mm. they, uh, while they, they, they fix it. Mm. Because I think, it doesn't it end with the same housing project being demolished? Or is mm. that one of the, the storylines of the last episode? It's when they all yeah. gather, or when Nikki and Mary yeah. get together again, it's, be, it's when they've gone to see these buildings being demolished, you know, so... Yeah. So it's funny, actually, those crap buildings are kind of like <laughs> one of the foundations haha, of the series, you know, it, it, yeah. sort of, it does mm-hmm. run through. Fascinating, really. I mean, do you feel McKee's character is well served by it? Yeah, I think she probably gets the gets the least. What does she get the least? Yeah, I'd have to think of it because she, yeah, she's kind of ill served by her, her men friends. <laughs> I think, I think the middle part of the story, it just becomes, oh, she's a, a wife and mother, and or, yeah. or an abandoned mm-hmm. wife and mother, or an unhappy wife and mother. And generally, I think the interesting thing is her story actually does get better in the in the second half of the yeah. story, when mm-hmm. after actually all the, the marriage and children nonsense is kind of pushed to the side, although obviously a relationship with the children is not great, and a relationship with her ex is not mm-hmm. great. No. And of course, that feels a little bit, not, not treading water, but a bit predictable. But yeah. when she actually moves into politics, it actually her character's arc yes. improves mm-hmm. significantly. I I think anyway. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, it, it, there are some parts in the early part where you do feel that she's very much sidelined, which I know is the nature of well, it was the nature of the times. It was mm-hmm. the nature of possibly even television production in the in, in the, the late nineties that yeah. that mm-hmm. that people 
focused more on male stories because it's again you don't really like to sort of point these things out but it's a very white it's a very yeah in white middle class or white working class story yeah. it's mm-hmm. it's not that diverse in no. the sense mm-hmm. of I mean, it's diverse in some senses, yes. but it's not diverse in... And maybe it couldn't be because those people might not have been friends in 1964, you know, because no. of the nature of mm-hmm. their lives in, in that part of the world. It's a very complicated thing now yeah. because we're so used to drama being so much more diverse yes. that actually to watch something that in some ways isn't, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, this must have... Uh, Again, you see, I qualify that. I see, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my own thread here, but <laughs> I qualify that because actually showing something about Northern life to a national audience is unusual yeah. in that era. So in, in that sense, you're getting the diversity. Also, you know, from impoverished cultural backgrounds, I mean, you have Coronation Street, okay, but Coronation Street is not what this is. No. Neither is it EastEnders. No. This is a much more complicated and yet not complicated drama yeah because it's not a soap opera and i'm not no. yeah, and there's nothing wrong with soap operas and they are some of the best writing that there is mm-hmm. but it's not those kinds of stories if you see what i mean it's it's no. it's it's, it's I, I, again it's not even a feature film it is a mini series but it's trying to tell its story over these nine ten hours of television and yeah. on, on that level it's quite fascinating i've just yeah. waffled i haven't a clue what that meant <laughs> Never mind. Oh dear. Yeah, it it still it felt very very real watching it again. Very mm. kind of You take you back. Take take me back, yeah. I mean you know, I mean, was it a familiar you know, light and not say lifestyle as such, <laughs> but did, were you did you recognise the background at least or the things they were talking about from your own experience? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I I grew up in the, the west of Scotland where, you know, a very working class area. Mm. And and quite a political area as well, mm. you know. Like you know, there was an interest in in left wing politics from mm. my own family, and then mm. the kind of the you, you do recognise a lot of the uh, the attitudes mm. in it. Felt very. I mean, I'm slightly slightly younger than the characters in that because mm. I was you know I was born. You know, I mean, the first series is sixty two, sixty three, round about then. Mm. Which is where I was born, you know. Mm. So that's kind of uh, so you you're you wouldn't have been a teenager in 1964. <laughs> no, def- definitely not. No. So this would have been the generation slightly before you. Yes, that's yeah. it. So yeah, it's not. It's a kind of. Mm. I, I know this generation, but it, it's it, mm. it's not quite not mm. quite mine. No. So, there we go. So, but uh, I think politically, it's in, an interesting piece. Yeah, and I, it's, yeah, I, and it's not. Uh, sometimes there's this kind of nostalgic about left-wing politics mm. and trying to... It doesn't pull its punches, does it? doesn't pull its punches, no. It's mm. it's kind of hard on there. And there's not a lot of not a lot of right-wing characters in it, I think. Mm. It, would that be fair? I mean, Tosca moves in those circles and there's the guy who... the MP whose daughter becomes an MP as well. Yeah. And they're not kind of... They're not really. Well, I think filled, you, you, they're not really filled in very much, are they? No, but you do get to see the birth of that kind of doorstep politics of that look after yourself Toryism, if you like, yeah. mm-hmm. from from that character. Weirdly, it's interesting to me that what you get is this this overarching. I don't know. Do you like any of the characters? 
Do you like them as people? Do you feel you're their people you would want to spend time with? That's the thing that always yeah. surprises me about it because none of them are really... I mean, again, like in real life, none of us are sort of perfect all the time. But Nicky is a bit of a so-and-so. You know, yeah, I mean, he, when he... Bit, yeah, he's a bit of an arsehole, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and yet sort of has this redemption at times. Yeah, I think equally, you, 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 you feel his heart's in the right place. Yeah, but he's but, still, but he still fails quite often, yes, and, and does things spectacularly wrong. I mean, it's yeah. like the the bit with the students and all that kind of thing. And yeah. it, so it's like redemption with a small R in the fact. Mm. I think he, by the end of the series, Nikki's character sort of becomes comfortable in his own skin, and I think they yeah. all become comfortable with the person they are yes. by mm. the end of the series. But but it's a it's a battle, yes. and I just wondered really because I ne- I never liked Tosca. No, at he's, all. He's, he's but, portray- yeah, he's, he's portrayed at the start as being a bit of a, a bit of a dick, really, isn't he? Yeah, but then you know, over the course of it, he he proves that he is, and then, th- but <laughs> but when, but that's what I'm saying. The characters are so well drawn that when things start to go wrong for him, you're sort of doing your sort of yay, but equally, <laughs> you still are interested. I yes. mean, like as, as we've talked about Daniel Craig's character, you know, um, the descent of his character. Yeah. Um, you know, is is quite spectacular. It is uh, Geordie, isn't it? Geordie Peacock, that's it. Yes. Uh, and his descent into uh, well homelessness. And, yeah, I think and... you, you do feel really sorry for him. Yeah. Because he, he doesn't really have a an edge to him. Mm. Uh, well, in many ways, he's the innocent in, in yes. a lot of ways. I mean, he, I, I mean, in the 60s, he kind of he kind of gets involved with these gangsters, but sort of accidentally almost. Yeah. And and lives the high life and can, can come back and lord it in his big cars and all this kind of thing to his old mates and show off how great he is. And yet, obviously, then it all goes horribly wrong for him and he basically mm-hmm. carries the can for a lot of the activities of his boss. Yeah. And ends up in prison and ends up with mental health issues and all sorts of other things. I mean, actually, I think in the final episode where Tosca's character is trying to rebuild after his own disastrous 80s dream fell apart. Yeah. I mean, his dream of being a slum landlord, which, okay, <laughs> that doesn't make him the, the nicest person in the world. But also, so they, they're setting up this this boat thing, aren't they? You know. Yeah. And, and his character, but is it Geordie's character... Engages with because there's the young suicidal lad, isn't there? Who wants to to drive into um, to drive the car into yeah. Tosca's boat restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> we all remember our boat restaurants, don't we? Yeah. And then there's this moment though where Geordie is going to play the piano for this the opening yes. event. Yeah. And and then his own fears drive him mm-hmm. not to do that. I mean, this is the, one of the beautiful things that runs through it is Tosca's dreams of being a rock star. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> With the famous, can I give you one piece of advice? <laughs> don't give up your day job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Again, it, it's funny because, like I say, I, I watched this a couple of years ago. I've not actually watched it for this today because there's yeah. just so much <laughs> of it. But it is, it, it's those little nuggets that, that come out of it every time when you sort of think about it. Oh, there was that, and then there was that. It's such a multi-layered yeah. piece. Mm-hmm. There's so much going on, and all these storylines are weaving 
throughout yes. the run of it. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it's a fascinating piece of drama. Do you think is any chance now of such a drama being made? Because I mean, you would argue, I suppose, that there's nothing more complicated about it than say there is in Game of Thrones or something. I mean, I no. don't know, but mm-hmm. but I think it's a different kind of weaving drama. It's almost like this if you like, is the ultimate play for today. Yes. You know, it's a mm-hmm. play for today had been running in the 60s and 70s and yeah. to a certain mm-hmm. extent in the 80s and then got replaced by um, screen one and screen two and you'd get yeah. these significant dramas which weren't mm-hmm. necessarily, they didn't involve, you know, the, the, maybe they weren't as entertaining for audiences, no. and, ent- and so audiences might have moved on to more mm-hmm. shallow television. It's a very yeah. deep mm-hmm. television, I suppose that's the thing. And then suddenly you get this nine-part wallop, which kind of sort of ends the nineties with this. Well, okay, you know, it's like you've got fifteen play for today's <laughs> in one series. They've yeah. all been sort of intermingled. They're a bit of this, a bit of that, and it, I think it's a fascinating piece of work. Yeah. But when you dissemble it. There's so much going on. I mean, that stuff about the hurricane in 87, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. it, it, which is such a significant plot point mm. for this. Because it is set in those major key points, you know, yeah. the, the minor strike, Hatcher's rise to power. These, the dates are very well chosen, yes. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, w- well, I wonder if the equivalent is somebody like David Simon these days. Right. Thinking on the, the stuff I've watched with him, I mean, The Wire. Is mm. one thing his the juice, mm. which was about yeah, Geordie would fit right in the mm. juice because it was about you know the changes in pornography in New mm. York in the seventies and eighties, mm. and I think it went up to the nineties. And just yeah, these interweaving characters, this Treme stuff as well, where there is yeah, there is just so much going on and mm. a lot of stuff left unsaid. You mm. know, it doesn't have to be. Hammered in home to you in mm, your face, mm, you know, and you go, yeah, you know a bit of this, so you know, I'll just dangle this in front of you and then take mm. it away. And is it important? Is it not important? Mm. What's gone on off screen, off mm. off, off camera, and stuff like that? So, mm. yeah, the, the the David Simon stuff feels in a way like that. But I suppose mm. the, the the thing about that is they are in a much narrower time frame. You know, mm. so you know, a series will last a period of months. Mm. Well, the the wire kind of took a different aspect for each series, didn't it? it took, you know, a different aspect of the corrupt society. If you yes, like. mm-hmm. but this kind of mi- mishmashes them all into one. Yeah, just the, you know, the, 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 the strands that are going the, on. The yeah. scale of it, I think, mm. is is quite fantastic. It is breathtaking. It's also, I mean, surprising to a greater or lesser extent how much it's set in London as well as yeah. in the north, you know. I mean, the, the two kind of locations of it, really, which... which And they are both characters in it. I mean, but this... It, does it feel like a northern drama? Do it do, yeah, it does feel... Nor- I mean, apart from Geordie, mm. there's not that much down in London, is there? Well, mm. the, the kind of... The Met Police corruption mm. thing, which is always, to me, is always part of Geordie's story. Mm. Mm. Okay, so there's some of the the investigation and corruption mm. down in, in the Met mm. refers to the stuff going on with the Alan Armstrong character mm. up in mm. the uh, 
the north. north. So, the, mm-hmm. so there's a, there's a link back that way, but mm. that never feels quite as quite as strong. Mm. These recreations of Carnaby Street and sixties London, they're done very well. Yeah, and it's I guess it's supposed to be telling us that this is how you escaped because in many ways the north or that northern thing is is seen as a bit of a trap i think yeah you know i mean they're all really trying to get away from it and the one of them that actually does is the one that yeah sort of yeah. almost fails you know yeah when people talk about moving you tend mm. to move to a bigger place to mm. to bring yourself on so mm. there's a definite you know we live in probably one of the uh the areas that people move to, uh, mm. you know, around here, because Manchester being uh, Cottonopolis and quite a big happening place. Yeah. So if you're going to move from Manchester, you move to the bigger place, which is London. You know, mm. that's what I'm... So I suppose from Newcastle, where do you move from Newcastle if you're trying to go up, mm. or, you know, look for new opportunities? You're not going to move to somewhere mm. smaller. So mm. there is that, the draw of... Uh, Oh, I'm gonna, that I'm London. Gonna, I'm going to go to that mm. London and never, mm. never come back. So that's mm. kind of it's a it's kind of the kind of the, the flowing down mm. thing, you know. That's a kind of and of course the sort of drift of talent away from northern areas is one of the themes that yeah. kind of it mm-hmm. does a is why certain things happen within the show. So yeah. you watched this on what was it Wednesday nights? Was yeah. it was it shown again? Consecutive weeks, or was it like they, two a night, or yeah, uh, they did. I think they did something like uh, three, three and two. So right, you know, three, three and three, well, nine episodes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I, I was worried with that uh, that BBC Four when they were reshowing series that it was gonna mm. they're not gonna get in many series because it's gonna mm. take you know nine weeks to do that and it's mm. gonna thirteen, mm. and they're just like bulk showing them, right. And of course, there's still an iPlayer and stuff and like that. So. Yeah, you've got to watch on the iPlayer with this one because some of them that have been on have been very short staying on the iPlayer. They're not staying on for a year. Oh, right. It's all looking of, I presume it's all looking Within seven days or whatever. License. And so, yeah, so some of them are just like a month. So, but yeah. So, did you find at the end of it you needed a stiff drink? Yes. I mean, yeah. It it was, so, can you remember any of it, what happened in it? <laughs> uh, I think there's there was one of them. I was a bit. Tired. Is it a series that drives you to drink? So, I mean, yeah. let's put it that way. <laughs> no, let's not do that. But um, I was just going to say because having now watched the entire thing, what sticks with you from it particularly? I think it's the it's the characters because mm. they are such. Strong. Are there any sort of moments that sort of oh you know that sort of you suddenly think oh, yeah I, I think this. I no. think there's the it's yeah one of the, the the big things is when Nicky's trying to get his father's approval mm. and say you know I've done well kind of things mm. or you know give me some credit for doing something mm. and his dad won't ah mm. uh, and. You know, at the end, he realised he just he's, he's never going to do it. You know, that's just it's a very human story. I mean, I, I yeah. suspect it's it's not it's not an unusual thing no. that for for sons wanting to get their approval from their fathers yeah. and not getting it. I think that's mm-hmm. quite a common experience for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's uh, the the one that, funnily enough, the image that's just popped into my head is is when uh, Peter Vaughan's character what starts his descent in many ways is when he he goes to confront the father of 
what was his name? The the lad. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, and basically gets attacked by a dog. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it's just that fundamental horribleness of some people. <laughs> yeah. I mean that. You know, that kind of inherent unpleasantness. Now, so many dramas will tell you that people are fundamentally better than that, fundamentally mm-hmm. more. The human spirit is, is uplifting and, and yeah. beneath everything there's community. And I like the fact that this has this cynical streak running through it, that yes, there are good people and there are people who try. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you could argue that Nicky's character tries throughout. Yeah. I'm not saying that's necessarily, that that's a very simple reading of his character. But, mm-hmm. but there are people who will continue to try. And a lot of the politics is about trying to improve people's lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah. equally, there's a lot of crap out there, isn't there? There's a yeah. lot of unpleasantness that, uh, and a lot of people never get beyond the the unpleasantness. I mean, I I do think it, it makes as a psychological piece, it's a fascinating thing. And I'm now thinking I really need to rewatch this because it's mm. uh, you know it is a couple of years, but it's uh, luckily I've got it on disc somewhere. So that's <laughs> lucky for me. I don't have to worry about the iPlayer. But uh, yeah. but I, I just wanted so, so that's that's the thing that you get from it the the relationship between. Peter Vaughan. Well, that's, and, it's, it's like, uh, you know, of the, I, yeah, there are loads and loads of a strong images. That, that's one that, mm. I think that's one I found particularly moving, just, mm. that just kind of pain of that, that. Well, the fact, I think in the end, that ultimately he basically puts his life on hold to look after his dad because his, his mum dies, doesn't she, mm. in that final. So there's no one else to look after uh, Felix. Yeah. So, and so he basically, he has to do it. And again, a lot of people's lives are their destiny is 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 basically shaped by the stuff that happens to them. Yeah, and I think that that's again a, a sort of big theme of this of the series that you don't have much control over your life. No. Stuff happens, and it happens to you, and yeah. this is the outcome. And, and yeah, this... and you and you you've got to get on and deal with it. That yeah. you can have all your fine plans and fine ideals, but mm. you know this this is what you've got. What you're going to do with it? Because, I mean, to be fair, you think about it, you know, Geordie's life is shaped by events. So is Tosca's. I mean, Tosca goes from you know being quite wealthy to being on the skids. Yeah. You know, and Mary's life, again, is, is sort of moved around by circumstance. And, and so I think they all are. And I think that's a fascinating thing. But I tell you what gets me is, I, I, I don't know if you knew this, but they refilmed a lot of the opening episode. Yeah. I, I just wondered whether... This came because you know I know you you do acting, yes. you know, and a lot of it came out of uh, you know the characters had been filming for a while and they suddenly felt that the first episode didn't quite work, yeah. So they went back and but they couldn't refilm all of it because of various situations, budgets and things. Yeah. So that might explain why there's nine and not ten of it. I don't know. That doesn't, yeah. that doesn't seem to make sense. Mm-hmm. But but they had to find a way of refilming a lot of the opening episode. And I think that, you know, in terms of finding the characters, it's not unusual that maybe on the first day of filming you get you're not quite yeah. in the same place as you mm-hmm. want to be and then you, you you move on and you think, oh no, I wish I'd done that differently. So this series actually gave them a chance to to yeah. do it again, and I, I think that's very rare. But I think it's very interesting, for, purely from a, a dramatic point of view. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm only used to stage things where uh, you know, I wish I could do that again. Is is not well, is not, yeah. is not an option because you've said it and you've done it, and <laughs> the other person has reacted in the same, you know, whatever way. So mm. it's always, but yeah, it's a kind of it, it shows that the the characters had such depth that you could mm. do that because you were trying to do so much with them mm. that they were three dimensional and it wasn't just like kind of. The job of this character is to do mm. X, Y, and Z mm. in the plot and in the story, yeah. and move things on. But you know they had real depth to them. Well, according to this, basically when it was remade, because it was a, I think it was a director change as much as anything. Yeah, they changed the opening storyline. Now mm. you think about this: you've got this epic nine-part film, and it's already a lot of it's in the can. Yeah, and. The writer decides to rewrite the beginning, which is quite different, <laughs> apparently, from yeah, quite different from the stage play version. Yeah. And it's just that is kind of fascinating yeah. from a purely from a structure point of view that you could actually do that. Yes, and and the only apparently the only real budgetary restraint was that they couldn't film back in the northeast. Yeah. So some of the, the the bits in the north in the earliest episode are in Watford. Oh, <laughs> And Folkestone. Yeah, there, there is. But, yeah, yeah, I was going to say there is one uh, harken back to being on the iPlayer. There yeah. is a an interview with Christopher Eccleston, right? When he's talking about it, which is uh, should still be on the iPlayer, just mm. talking about his experiences on the series and how mm. how he doesn't like Mark Strong. Mm. <laughs> really doesn't like him. Doesn't get on. Does he still not like him? Still doesn't like him. But, oh, right. but he thinks he's a fantastic actor and he's a. Right. Yeah, it's a great performance, but it just obviously didn't. Kind of, uh, do you think that's part of? Do you think that comes across on screen? No, no. Well, yeah, it it comes across on screen that. Because, he, well, the they, characters they, aren't supposed to. Yeah, like they, yeah, show, but it's, it's, it's I think there's thing. a. Uh, I know one theatrical production of the Sunshine Boys, the Neil Simon mm. play, where uh, they they cast two people who really didn't like each other as the mm. cantankerous lead characters, mm. and it was a nightmare. <laughs> Because normally to play people who argue with each other, you need to get on. Mm. Otherwise, it just mm. kind of it escalates into mm. general twattery. Which mm. is what happened with that one. So. Well, there are one or two people I can think of who, if, if I actually had to stand in a room with them, I'd probably end up doing a lot of utter twattery <laughs> as well. So, again, I think that's a very human response. So, uh, would you recommend our friends? Oh, you? incredibly, yes. So, I mean, you've said you you'd watch it again, presumably for. Mm. Is that the third time or something like that for you? Uh, it probably is now, yes. So, yeah, I would, I'd certainly revisit that just as a... Uh... It does surprise you. I think I, I, I'm always quite taken with dramas that don't necessarily go in a direction that you think they're going. You know how sometimes you put a show on and you just know pretty much how it's going to unfold. Yeah. And I think, again, maybe that's part of the that sense of the play for today thing. Mm. But sometimes you watched a play for today and it went completely at a right angle to where you yeah. expected it to go. Mm-hmm. And I think that may be part of what happens when you're coming from theatre. I don't know. I, I know you yeah. I say I know you're a, a big fan of theatre, but sometimes theatre stories kind of swerve a bit. Yeah. I don't know whether I don't know whether that's something that comes from theatre writing, whether television writing is mm. I suspect it's different on a show like this because it's not about standing sets. It's not about 
you know you don't have to have your characters reset for next week at the end of it you yeah. can actually take your characters on a journey to, yeah. sorry I hate that, using that expression <laughs> but your characters don't have to end up where they started and no. quite often in television you need your characters to more or less be the same at the end of the episode maybe they've yeah. had an experience that's changed them but they're the fundamentals, they are still in the same situation. Yeah. That's series television. But the one-off drama, or in this case, the one-off miniseries, you can take your characters and and actually push them in different directions. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if at the end... I mean, they, they, they're not the same person, but interestingly enough, I suppose the one thing this does have in terms of structure is you have to bring the characters together at some... Or their, their lives have to cross yes. mm-hmm. for various at various points within it. And I think that's, again, it's a fascinating thing about this, is that it manages to do that, and it doesn't always seem forced. I think the the bit in the final episode at the funeral kind of feels like it's pushing that, Mm. that they're all there. And I think it wasn't, doesn't one of them even say, isn't this the first time we've been in the room for together for Mm -hmm. X many years? And that can feel forced, but that obviously is to do with circular storytelling and yeah you need mm-hmm. to end up where you start because that sort of makes sense but i i think that's a fascinating i think it's a fascinating slice of life our friends in the north yeah and i do think it's it as a significant drama i think it it actually does hit the points it aims to it actually really it tries and it delivers mm-hmm. yep absolutely you got any other thoughts on our friends in the north? Or your vast list of notes on no, that? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think we've uh, we've kind of covered that, and and yeah, yeah. I, I would, you know, I would heartily recommend it to anyone who's mm. who's not watched it. I kind of, I am regretting that I didn't, you know, I've not watched it before. Which, uh, mm. Not the cheeriest nine hours no, of your no, life. Though. No, but it's uh, it, it is very rewarding stuff. Really. Mm. Very impressive. Mm-hmm. And you're hoping to watch it again fairly soon, presume. Yeah, I may have to borrow your discs for that one, Martin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure we I'm sure we can sort that out. Okay. Well, thanks very much for your time today, okay. Sunday. It's been an absolute joy as usual. Uh we will uh, endeavour to find something else serious. Maybe we'll do a fl- well, maybe we'll do a fluffy one sometime. <laughs> oh indeed. You know? Indeed. <laughs> okay, bye Martin. Right, you you take care. Bye bye. Thanks to Sandy McGregor for choosing another fascinating drama for us to discuss, and I'm sure he'll be back to look at something else fairly soon. Incidentally, wearing my other presentation hat as co-host alongside Andy Priestner of the An A to Z of UK TV Drama with Andy and Martin podcast, we covered this series in far greater depth than we had time for in this edition of Vision on Sound. In fact, Our Friends was such a fascinatingly complex series that it took us two long episodes to cover it completely, so if our conversation makes you want to find out more, those episodes are also available on your podcast platform of choice if you just type in An A to Z of UK TV Drama and it should be easy enough to track down. Anyway, that's it for yet another edition of Vision on Sound. Thanks to everyone at Fab Radio International for keeping us going through thick and thin, and of course my thanks to all of you for listening. As ever, I have been Martin, this has been Vision on Sound. Goodbye for now, and take care. <laughs>